What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold, but the takes are hot. Dropping a couple days late today. We were both pretty busy uh, past couple weeks, couple days, um, kind of early into the weekend. Uh, been moving the past few days, and Brett's been out at a wedding, which is super fun, super cool, but uh, just kind of tied up the past couple days, couldn't get to the pod. But good thing we waited. We had some news come the last couple days, so that ended up working out for us in the long run. Um, kind of thought we got some PGA news. Obviously, we got our MLB stats update. Uh, the draft recap is that kind of finished up last weekend um got our all-star game of thoughts that took place on tuesday that was the home run derby which took place on monday in the evening uh the day before the all-star game we got some nba news of course a little bit of nfl news to wrap up um a lot of helmet releases which is nice good to see um then we got the ice bath to finish it out as always um but i'll let Brett kick us off with some golf yeah, no, like you said, a uh, pretty eventful week this past week in golf as it normally is but even more so this past week uh, the fourth and final major of the year was this past week, and across all four days, there was a lot of movement, especially at the top of the leaderboard. It uh, didn't seem like there was someone at the top for the same day. Uh, it was different within each day. It was different when, within each hole almost. Uh, the course played somewhat tough, but most of the field had played it so many times before that they were well prepared. Uh, the low scores each day were 64, 64, 65, and then 64 on Sunday. Par 72 course, so when you're shooting seven, eight under a round, it's pretty solid. Uh, after round one, the American Cameron Young was in the lead after shooting an eight under 64. Uh, he stayed up there for the whole tourney. He was looking really good coming down the stretch each day, obviously made the cut. And he, I mean, on Sunday, it looked like he was right there. But the guy he shares the first name with, uh, Australian Cameron Smith, he ended up winning the event at 20 under. He had a couple of rounds of 64 um, and a six under 30 on the back nine on Sunday to put him up for good. Uh, the six under 30 was really, really impressive. He had five straight birdies to start the back nine, and I think he had a birdie on the 18th hole to wrap it up. Really, really impressive. He's been the best putter in the world for the last month or so. Um, really strong game from him really this whole season um, as we're through 39 of the 45 weeks on the PGA Tour season. It's impressive to see kind of what he's doing. Um, he won the players earlier, which is like the biggest non-major on the PGA Tour technically. So a good year from him. He took on two and a half mil just from this event, so pretty nice. Uh, Cam Young finished second and took home 1.455 mil. So maybe a mil less, but still I'm taking, you know, a mil and a half over four days. Rory had a strong first three rounds. Uh, he shot a really, really good score. Um, 17 under i believe it was he had finished in third um and unfortunately he shot a two under 70 on sunday to kind of take himself out of contention but he would have needed to shoot about eight under on sunday to win the event uh he went on to finish third like i said he won 933,000, and six of the top 10 finishers were americans uh always love to see obviously one of the four that weren't were rory and another one was cam smith two guys that are really good at what they do, obviously, and guys that are just really hot right now. Um, it was a fun event to follow along. Didn't get to watch as much as I would have liked because I was just busy. Um, but, yeah, really fun to see Cam win it again. Um, and we'll see who, you know, wins the upcoming event this upcoming week. Yeah, I felt like Cam was due. Had a couple good performances the last couple of weeks, last few weeks, really. Um, so he was due for another really good Another good performance and maybe a win. So um, good to see him get the win here. Like I said, uh, he'd kind of – he'd earned it the past few weeks. I felt like he was, like I said, due. Um, yeah, looking forward to the tournament this weekend. But 
kind of shift into our stats update. We'll do the MLB kind of coming out of the post all-star break. We've got a couple games in so far. I think most teams have played two games, um, one or one or two games, I guess it's been it's Saturday morning. Um, kind of get with the, sort of the home runs as we always do with the power hitters. Um, number five, we got a couple guys tied, uh, John Carlos Stanton and Mike Trout of the Yankees and Angels respectively, both with 24 bombs so far. Um, Two guys you're really not really surprised to see here at five. The guys hit for power the whole career. Uh, Stanton especially kind of made his money being a power hitter, um, hitting the long ball. And number four is Austin Riley, Atlanta Braves with 27. A uh, guy who's really come on the last couple of years, a critical piece for them in that World Series run last year. Number three is Jordan Alvarez uh, from the Houston Astros with 28 homers. Guy's been um, part – I mean, he's one of the big reasons they've they've stayed successful even though they've lost Springer and Correa. So, um, you know, guys like him, the young guys like Alvarez – reasons that they're still a powerhouse out in the AL West. Uh, number two is Kyle Schwarber, Philadelphia Phillies with 30. Again, another guy who's made his career on being a power hitter, hitting the long ball. Never going to be a hit for average guy, but a guy who's going to hit a few out of the park every year. And he's had, he had a great first half. Um, we'll see if he keeps the pace in the second half of the year. Don't know if he does, but um, we'll see if he can kind of keep those numbers up. And then number one, still Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees with 36 bombs. Um, he hit one the other night. They lost, I think they lost the game to the Astros, but he – his first homer after the break was a bomb, and it was an absolute monster. So, um, you know, it's the guy still hitting for power. Uh, we'll see if he keeps it up and breaks 60. The last few guys who have had 30 or more at the All-Star break have not even come close to 60. I mean, Chris Davis is the, uh, kind of the last one in, was it 2014, 2015 when he did it? Um, he, yeah. didn't, he didn't get there. Otani didn't do it. He, a judge didn't do it a couple of years ago. So it's just hard for guys to keep the power all year, um, but nevertheless, still really impressive with 36 homers right now. Um, expect to see most of these guys at the top of the list at the end of the year. Oh, yeah, it's really impressive. Uh, I mean, like you said, the guys that have been on this list, the six guys that are kind of in the top five, uh, most of them have been on the list the entire year, a couple of newcomers, a couple of guys are hot right now. Uh, but, yeah, Judge is impressive. He hit 1465 last night, and it's just crazy what he's doing right now. I don't know if we'll keep it up, but really impressive. Um we're going to go to RBIs, though. Uh, number five, we got C.J. Crone from the Colorado Rockies at 69. A guy that's had a really good year, um, really the whole year, kind of maybe not cracked the top five in a few categories recently. Uh, was hot, Had a hot start to the season and just been consistent ever since, so impressive year from him. Number four, we got Paul Goldschmidt from the Cardinals, one of my favorite players um, at 72. Just really impressive what, he been, what he's been able to do over the course of his career. I think this is nothing new for him. Always been a really good hitter for average. And it's impressive to see him, you know, in the top four RBIs this late in his career. Number three, Jose Ramirez, another guy that's been doing it for a while. Uh, really good average hitter as well from the Guardians at 76. Number two, we got Aaron Judge, like we just mentioned, who leads the league in homers by six. He is at 77 RBIs. Um, obviously, with a lot of bombs comes a lot of runs batted in. So impressive stuff from him to this point in the year. Number one, we got the strong guy, Pete Alonzo, Polar Pete from the New York Mets. 78, just one ahead of Aaron Judge. Uh, I don't know if that'll hold, though. Alonzo's not on the leaderboard for home runs, so I don't know what's up with him. Maybe he's got to meditate or something to get back up there. Uh, but nonetheless, impressive stuff from those five guys. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, again, guys like Jose Ramirez, Paul Goldschmidt, Aaron Judge, even, even Pete, guys you expect to see in the RBI. It's good to see C.J. Crone kind of cracking this uh, top five, I will say. When I was putting this together, Trey Turner's right on his heels at 68. So it's like they're neck and neck for that five spot. But CJ Crone's been kind of the only um, kind of 
light in the season for Colorado. Even Chris Bryant's had a down year so far. Um, their pitching staff, Jermaine Marquez, hadn't really had the kind of year you expect from him. So he's going to be kind of the lone bright spot, the lone bright spot, uh, pardon me, for the Rockies this year. But, um, you know, maybe, you know, I hope he can go somewhere to a contender in the next couple of years in free agency. I think he's a free agent in 2023. So maybe he goes to a, a team with a little more, uh, you know, better outlook in the short term for some success. We'll move to average as our last hitting statistic of the week. Um, we got number five, Andrew Benintendi, Kansas City Royals at 319. A super hot name in the trade market as we approach the deadline in the next eight-ish days. Um, you know, about a week, week and a half. A uh, guy who's really had a, a career year for them. Uh, kind of re- a revitalization, if you will, um, of his career. Had a couple down years, past years, but had a really good year this year, batting 319. Number four, Rafael Devers of the Boston Red Sox, 324. Um, if it weren't for Aaron Judge having the monster year he's having, Devers would be smack in the middle of the, of the AL MVP running right now. It's just that it's a one-man race at this point with, with Judge doing what he is. Um, but if it weren't a, a one-horse race, Devers would be right there with him. He's kind of kept Boston afloat this year as they've kind of had a down year from a lot of their big, you know, big-name players. Um, Devers is a young guy who's going to keep getting better, I think. Uh, number three. Not necessarily a young guy, but a guy who's just going to keep hitting for average the rest of his career. It's Freddie Freeman at 324. I listed him four and three because they listed that way on baseball reference. And I assume that goes out to like the fourth, fifth, sixth decimal. Um, same thing with ERA that we're going to do in a minute. So, or Claude, I think it was, uh, I think it was whip. Same thing with a couple of guys there at, in the fifth spot. But um, yeah, so they're, they're listed that way. Um, I assume it goes to decimal. But again, Freddie Freeman, Rafael Devers, both guys are hitting for great average. Um, interesting is like Freddie's raised his, his batting average, like 30, like, you know, 30 points in the last, you know, month. So it's pretty impressive what he's been able to do the last month. I mean, I don't know if anybody had a better July than, or has had a better July than Freddie Freeman. Um, there was a stretch where he was like eight for nine or, you know, like he went over a full series. He went 11 for 13 against the Cardinals. So it was absolutely absurd. Um, so he's having a great, a great July and, and really putting his numbers back up at the top of the leaderboards here. Uh, number two is Paul Goldschmidt from St. Louis Cardinals. At 331, yes, having an MVP year. I think he's, you know, he's likely to win if he keeps up this pace in the NL. Um, a big reason why St. Louis is so competitive this year. Um, he's just a guy who's again revitalized his career. He's putting up career numbers when people kind of thought he was maybe over the hill, not really do, not really going to do what he did in Arizona anymore. But here he is in St. Louis, um, doing it and, and doing it better than he was in Arizona. So, um, really good to see there from Paul and. Then, Number one, we got Luis Arias uh, for the Minnesota Twins at 338. The guy who's been at the top of the leaderboard the entire season. Um, it's dropped a couple points over the last couple months, but um, you know, nonetheless, this guy's still hitting for average like crazy. Uh, 338 halfway through the year is incredible. Um, after after the break, uh, you know, Minnesota's kind of in the heart of a race there in the AL Central for a playoff spot. So, you know, Arias and me guys going to get him there if they do. So, um, but yeah, 338 is really impressive from a young guy like him. Yeah, those five guys have been near the top the whole year. Um, five guys that are really, really good hitters for a while now. Um, Arise really impressive, 338. I don't know if anyone finished over maybe 330 for the year. Wait and see uh, with about 70 games left or so. But really impressive stuff. Um, like I said, I don't expect these guys to move that much from their current average. Probably drop a little bit just because the sample size will get bigger. But nonetheless, I mean – I like to see these five guys hit. It's really impressive what they can do on a nightly basis. So I expect them to be up there for a little while. Um, but we're going to shift to pitching stats and start off with the ERA. Uh, number five, we got Dylan Cease from the Chicago White Sox at 215. 
been been on the list the whole year, uh, having a really solid season for the White Sox, and I think they'll remain up there. I mean, no reason why you shouldn't. Obviously, you're going to have a bad outing occasionally. Might drop your area a little bit, but impressive stuff from him. Uh, number four, we got Tony Gonsolin from the Dodgers at 202. Another guy that's been on the list the whole year. Uh, maybe didn't expect to see him in the top five this season, but really, really impressive what he's been able to do over the course of the season. Number three, we got Justin Verlander um, from the Astros at 189. Crazy how long this guy's been producing at a really high level. Um, I don't know how much longer he will, but nonetheless, it's exciting to see someone, you know, so, I guess, polished in their game to where they could be so old and still produce. Kind of like Tom Brady, not making the GOAT comparison, but I'm just saying in terms of like long career, longevity. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Maintaining success. It's really impressive to see. There's, there's many guys in the league, but Verlander is one of them. Um, and then number two, Sandy Alcantara from the Marlins. Really impressive. I saw his start the other night. It's crazy how good he's been pitching. Uh, kind of him and the guy at number one have really taken the league by storm this year. Uh, Alcantara, 176. And then number one, Shane McClanahan from the Rays at 171. Two guys that have just looked really, really good over the course of the season to date. And – I assume that it will continue for them and exciting to see some young guys play well in the league and kind of bring in the next generation of pitchers. Yeah. I've, I mean, Alcantara has been on his game. I think he's his first start out of the all-star breaks was money and, uh, you know, McClanahan's going to do the same. So I will say uh, after what we did our, what I did, we did our and MVP, MVP predictions a couple of weeks ago, since then, I, I will have changed from Gonsolin to Alcantara since I made the, the Gonsolin prediction. Obviously, I had some bias in there, and I'm allowed to have that. That's okay. I'm a Dodger fan. I'm allowed to pick the Dodger. But um, he had a couple – I won't say bad outings. They just weren't great outings. Um, so uh, Alcantara and McClanahan are my, I think, runaway favorites at the moment for the, for the Cy Young. Um, just looking at – just pure statistically. I know it's cool. that It's a good story that Verlander um, is up there and having these numbers, but I just don't think – like starting an all-star game is different than a sign on award. Uh, you can give the all-star game start to the old guys. I think if Verlander would have pitched in it, he would have got the start because it would have been cool to have him and Kerr starting against each other. But, um, you know, McClanahan and Alcantara have been the two best pitchers in baseball this year. And I don't think it's super close at this point. At this point, after the last, you know, three starts, I think that's probably fair to say. Um, we'll move to strikeouts, though. Um, and number five, Carlos Rodon of the Giants with 138. Uh, you know, guys had a really good year, signed a one-year deal with the Giants, um, kind of a prove-it deal. Uh, and with the Giants, I mean, they're slipping right now. They've, they're, you know, if they get to the deadline, you know, next week and they have dropped more games and they're sitting five, six, seven games out of a wild-card spot, I could see them trading them potentially and just kind of cutting the losses on on the year maybe and kind of just looking at next year and the year, the years after, trying to get some prospects. And it could be a super interesting market. Uh, I know the Yankees are super locked in on getting a pitcher. It sounds like they want to get the Reds pitcher – Luis Castillo, but if Rodon becomes available, he's immediately the best starter, um, you know, available. And I think he's a top 10 starter in, in the league. He's great. So, um, you know, I'm a really good year there for, for, the, for the Giants. Uh, number three, uh, a couple guys tied in the top. So this is the top four guys. So the two guys tied at three and then at two and one are all within three Ks of each other, which is in, which is crazy. Um, but at number three, we got Garrett Cole of the Yankees and Shane McClanahan of the Tampa Bay Rays at 147. Two guys who are just – they're punch out getters. They miss bats. Um, you know, McClanahan's been really, really efficient this year. Um, I know Cole is a guy who gets deep into counts with, with batters, usually um, runs up the pitch count, but nonetheless, they're getting strikeouts uh, either way. So 
uh, really impressive there. And then Corbin Burns at number two, the Milwaukee Brewers at 149, the reigning Cy Young champ. I mean, this guy's this guy's a monster at 149. Um, you know, he's 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 a strikeout king. He, he led the NL in last year, and he made, he made they led the entire league in it last year. Um, he was incredible. So, and then number one, Dylan sees the Chicago White Sox at 150 again. 150, 149, 147. Um, there's some guys who just rack up the Ks, and it, it's really impressive. Um, you know, obviously these numbers are, are kind of going to, I guess, the strikeout leaders this year can I be determined who gets the last start and, um, you know, how many starts they have. So I think these guys are all even right now, at, you know, one through three, and we'll see if it kind of stays that way. But and it's really impressive. Um, a lot of young guys in Cease and McClanahan on this list, so really cool to see. Yeah, I know it is. Another list of top five guys that – Obviously, you're having really good years. Uh, when you give a top five, there's going to be really elite guys to this point in the season, and it's exciting to see, you know, so many different guys, whether it's Verlander or the young guys. So I'm going to talk about the top five guys in WHIP um, before we round out the stats and give a draft recap that happened last weekend. But WHIP, I'm just going to go through it real quick, considering we already talked about these guys. Number five, Aaron Nola from the Phillies at .91. Uh, a guy that we haven't talked about yet, the only one. Uh, really impressive stuff. I mean, a guy that's normally up there, uh, a guy that you like to see, obviously, he has the occasional bad outing, but normally it doesn't happen with too many hits allowed. Um, so he's he's looking good right now. Um, he's not on any other lists, but I could definitely see him sneaking up into the top five in one of the other pitching statistical categories. Uh, number four, we have Sandy Alcantara from the Marlins at a point nine. He's balling out this year, like we mentioned. Number three, Verlander from the Astros at a point eight eight. Number two, Tony Gonsolin from the Dodgers at a point eight four. And number one, Shane McClanahan from the Rays at point eight. So five guys, like I said, who a couple are on a few other lists as well. And just a bunch of guys that are pitching really well, hitting their spots this season. Yeah, keeping guys off base, which is what you got to do as a pitcher. Um, and I guess I'll touch on Aaron Nola. I just went and talked about him yet. But guy who just falls up into the home run a lot. Um, you really get pitchers. A lot of times really get pitchers who give up their give up their runs on homers on just one missed spot. Um, but, again, Aaron Nola's a guy who's just he's, – he's, he's an ace, but he's just he's, – his command is just almost there. Um, uh, you know, he's just, like I said, he falls up into the home run a couple times. And, you know, you give up three hits that are all homers. You need to give up some runs. So, um you know, that happens. That, that That's oftentimes what aces do is they give up homers because guys are so locked in and looking for a, a, a missed pitch and they finally get it and they take advantage. So, uh, nonetheless, uh, having a really good year, definitely a really good pitcher for them. But moving to the draft recap here, um, 20 rounds and then the 2022 only draft. Uh, we'll start with the Texas Tech guys. Uh, Tech only had five players drafted, one player signed, um, six guys in total. So, uh, not – not a great – I don't want to say a bad. I mean, it's, it's up there with, with the most players drafted. Um, I don't think as many as last year. Last year had a lot of guys, a lot of older talent last year on the team that got drafted. But we'll start it off uh, in the first round. Jace Young went at 12th overall spot uh, to the Detroit Tigers. That had kind of been locked in for a while. Everybody knew that if he got to 12, and it was likely that the Tigers were going to take him. It felt like um, – so that, that ended up coming true and um, should be a quick rise to the majors for Jace being as old as he is, being as advanced of a hitter as he is. Um, you know, be able to take pitches, that kind of thing. Pitch recognition has been good. Didn't really have a swing and miss problem. So should be a quick track, quick track to the majors, especially with the universal DH now. Uh, and then in the fourth round at pick 114, right-handed pitcher Andrew Morris went to the Twins. Um, kind of surprised you before bird cell, um, but I get it with the medicals on bird cell. And Morris, uh, really electric fastball, um, had a couple of good off-speed pitches to work off of. So pretty good changeup, uh, solid slider. So 
Um, the tools are definitely there. Older guy who, again, could, you know, if he can develop in that system, can make his way to AAA pretty soon. Um, number in round five, number, pick number 143. Brandon pitcher Brandon Birdsell went to the Cubs. Um, you know, guy who was the Big 12 pitcher of the year. I thought he'd go a little earlier than this, but clearly the medicals uh, on his arm are what kept him from going a little earlier, which makes sense. But I think the Cubs got a really, really good pitcher in the fifth round and a guy who could potentially be in the big league someday. And whether he's a reliever, um, you know, with, with the velocity, he could be a reliever or he could be uh, in, in the rotation. Who knows? But um, definitely a guy that I hope that I think and I hope will be in the big league someday. Uh, sixth round, I pick 160 overall. Uh, right-handed pitcher Chase Hampton went to the Yankees. Kind of surprised Chase got drafted, uh, to be honest. I just kind of figured, uh, you know, he'd be back next year. But nonetheless, he it looks like he's going to sign a deal being a top six round pick. And um, they're going to a good, good deal, going to a good program, a team that, you know, has a track record for developing talent. Um, you know, whether or not he's a Yankee by the time he gets to the big leagues, who knows with all the trades that go on with contenders. But um, really good to see Chase get drafted. Uh, happy for him. Obviously, I wish he'd be back next year for the Texas Tech Raiders' sake. But really happy for Chase that he gets drafted, gets to go pursue his dream, being a big leaguer. And the last guy drafted in the 16th round, right-handed pitcher, or I guess a pick uh, 476 overall, right-handed pitcher, Austin Becker, drafted by the Colorado Rockies. Uh, kind of surprised he got drafted as well. Um, but I guess him and Hampton are both guys that really turned it on at the end of the year, had really good closes to the year, and, and you know, on the biggest stages, they performed well in the regional. So, nonetheless, um, you know, surprised, but good for Becker. I'm not really sure if he signs. I don't know what his where his where his head's at. Um, you know, maybe he's going to be a starter for us next year. I don't really know. Um, but, I, you know, Happy for him, nonetheless. Glad he got the recognition, the love he deserves for the great end of the year. And then uh, and the, as a UDFA undrafted free agent, third baseman Parker Kelly signed with the Colorado Rockies. So he'll be there. A guy who I think could be kind of a career minor leaguer. Um, I don't want to say a pro's pro because he's a college kid, but like I feel like he's a pro's pro kind of guy, a really good player, really clean player, uh, really fundamental in his game. Uh, you know, with the glove, with the bat, we got really, 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 really improved. Uh, bat skills this year um, from last year to this season. So really glad to see Parker get drafted. Um, Stand-up guy, uh, really the part of the heart and soul of that Red Raider team last year. Um, so really glad to see Parker get signed with the Rockies. Yeah, I know all six of these guys. It's awesome that, you know, we saw them get drafted or signed, and it was really impressive stuff really over the course of the season, at least to round out the season for them. Um, but, yeah, like you mentioned, Jace, we knew would be kind of a top 10, top 15 pick from the get-go just based off, you know, his season prior to this past one, 2021. And it's just impressive to see the run on right-handed pitchers that was draft, they were drafted. Andrew Morris, yeah, like you said, going 29 picks before Birdso was shocking. Uh, but two guys that are definitely gone, really impressive this past season. Both had a great win-loss, pretty solid ERA, especially Birdso. And then Hampton in the sixth round, really impressive. Uh, I'm really happy for him. Um, Austin Becker in the 16th. I didn't see this coming necessarily. Um, kind of wouldn't know if he would get drafted or not, but a guy that has a lot of potential. So it's exciting to see him take his game to the next level. And he will be paired up likely with Parker Kelly, who was signed uh, undrafted guy, solid third baseman, really going to miss Parker and all the guys on this roster. Uh, but I know all of them are gone other than Becker. I don't not don't know for certain that Becker is gone, but I do know the rest of the guys are gone. So it's going to be looking like the Texas Tech Red Raiders will have a revamped pitching staff outside of Mason Molina. And it's going to be fun to see how they develop that, obviously, with a bullpen that was pretty bad last year and costed them many games. So it's going to be fun to see how Tadlock and the pitching coach Matt Gardner 
um, what situation they put guys in, who they put as starters, who they put as relievers, who they have as a closer. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's always unfortunate when you lose your best players, but I'm looking forward to the new crop of guys coming in and it's going to be fun next season for the Texas tech red Raiders, but that'll pretty much wrap up our, um, Texas tech recap as we're going to kind of dive into our own teams recap, um, start off with the Orioles here and my team, obviously Baltimore Orioles are a team that kind of been rebuilding. This is their fifth season right now of kind of pretty poor play. And I think they're going to be just fine in a few years. And they had the first overall pick. They're right at 500 right now. And they selected shortstop Jackson holiday. He's from Stillwater high school, right there where Oklahoma state campus is son of Matt holiday and being drafted with the first overall pick, uh, having the biggest, you know, contract ever or whatever, just over eight mil, I think is pretty crazy considering you're 17. Um, but it's really exciting to see. I mean, he's the best overall prospect available in the draft. So not too much of a shocker, but it was really exciting to see the Orioles dip into that infield yet again and should be really loaded come, you know, 2026 or so. And it was clear that the Orioles wanted to draft position players who could hit for average as well. That's pretty much the most valuable part in today's MLB, I believe. And six of their first seven picks were just that. But in total, 12 of the 21 picks were pitchers. And they selected a couple pitchers from Indiana. They also selected one from Oklahoma State, Auburn, Mississippi State, Michigan, Virginia Tech, and Miami. So all teams that they selected from were teams that were ranked in the top 15 this year at some point. Uh, the pitchers that they selected, that is. So I, I get what they're doing. They're drafting proven college pitchers and they are drafting high upside hitters and high school hitters, college hitters. So it's going to be fun to see how this class translates and, you know, how they develop and how they fill out the farm system. So it was really fun to follow along the draft. Obviously when you're picking first in each round, you have a little more ammo, but it was fun. Um, and I'm really glad with the haul that the Orioles came away with, and it'll be really exciting to see their development in the minors. Yeah, no doubt. The draft's always kind of an interesting deal for a team like, especially with the Orioles, who had a lot of recent success, like in the past month. Um, you know, they've got a lot of guys who are just are real close to getting in the majors, and it should be interesting to see kind of how, how long they let Jackson Holiday sit in the majors, how long some of these guys are going to be there for. Um, you know, again, you made, a, you made a good point that looking at position players that were average, then they selected a bunch of pitchers. So, um, you know, it's kind of how a lot of – I think like a lot of teams, you know, look for – especially for good talent, but, um, you know, it's – I always think a team like the Orioles has an interesting dynamic for a team that's kind of coming out of the rebuild, how they attack the draft. I think it's really interesting. Um, obviously, it's a lot different approach from some of the Dodgers, who's they haven't rebuilt, they haven't been a rebuild in you know two decades. So uh, it's just it's a it's a unique dynamic. I think it's it's one of the most unique dynamics in, in sports in the draft. I think NBA and the NFL, uh, you know, teams always kind of draft in a similar fashion. Um, you know, you're always going to build a part of your team. But there's not necessarily the, the organization building that goes on in baseball saying you've got all these levels of play and you got to fill out rosters. So I think it's really unique. And I think it's super fascinating. Um, the first pick the Dodgers, I was in the second round They selected another Louisville catcher in Dalton rushing with 40th overall pick for those that don't know, Will Smith uh, was drafted by the Dodgers out of Louisville, uh, you know, top catcher in the league, you know, top three, top five guy, um, really been a great, great catcher for them. I uh, thought he was an all-star snub, but nevertheless, uh, another Louisville catcher for the Dodgers to go back to the well with Dalton rushing uh, fourth overall pick. A guy who sat behind Henry Davis uh, for, you know, a couple of years. He was first overall pick last year. So finally got his time to shine as the full-time catcher for Louisville this year. And 
and exploded in a big way. Um, you know, Dodgers selection dropped 10 spots from 30 to 40 for exceeding the competitive tax balance. Um, you know, I, I don't really think Andrew Friedman cares that they, that they dropped 10 picks. Um, you know, I feel like rushing, they would have taken him at 30. That, that's kind of how they operate. They, they lock in on a guy that they want. They just take him. It's kind of like, it's not like football or basketball where there's a consensus first round guy. Um, you know, it's kind of just what teams like, and there's a lot of consensus for strong guys um, in the draft. So um, Dalton rushing, I thought was a solid pick. It, it, they need, could they need catcher depth now in their sitting there, kind of their farm system? Um, you know, Diego Cartaya may be on the move with Juan Soto being on the trade block. Um, I'm not saying he's going to get traded, but it just seems like something that this is an insurance policy. Uh, I mean, rushing is a guy who he needs to improve behind the plate, but he's got a bat that plays immediately in the double-A, triple-A level, and a guy with the universal DH that I can see be on the major league roster in a couple of years, potentially, if his back kind of keeps popping the way it is and he keeps growing as a, as a hitter. Um, I can see him on the major league roster sooner than later, just with the universal DH. You can never have enough position players now kind of come off the bench. Um, but the Dodgers took a hitter with their first seven selections, so rounds two through eight, they went with a hitter. Um, obviously, they have a first-round pick, but um, they dipped heavily into the college pool, taking players from Louisville, UCF, Virginia Tech, Virginia, Arizona State, Baylor, UCLA, Maryland and a couple other smaller schools. Um, but again, they picked a lot of guys um, that are older. Uh, 15 of 19 draft picks were hitters. So, um, you know, they clearly want some older guys that kind of maybe have a, a little bit faster of a track to get into potentially getting the major league ball. Um, you know, guys are hitting for a lot of average and like, you know, like the Orioles do with kind of finding guys who hit for average in college. Um, I think that's always a good thing to do. Um, you know, that, if you hit it for average in college, um, you can likely translate in the minors. Uh, but, you know, it's just – I think it's interesting. They went with a lot of older guys. I feel like they have this – and this is purely speculative, speculative, but it's just a team that's going to be going into the trade market pretty heavily, I think, in the next, you know, year or so, maybe even in next week with the deadline for Juan Soto. Um, that could be emptying out a lot of their talent in the minors and getting a lot of older guys in there that can just replace those guys. Um, is not necessarily a bad idea. It doesn't shock me that Freeman's doing this. You know, the other thing I've always said, I always have this conversation with my dad is, you know, whatever Andrew Freeman does is calculated and it's right. Most of, I mean, he's almost never, you know, been wrong on some of this stuff at the big league level. So, um, you know, if they have a track record, one of the best in the league of, of producing star players, look at a lot of the guys in their roster that are just homegrown talents. So um, I like the draft. I like, I like the Dalton rushing pick. I got like again a guy that sat behind the number one overall pick last year. Had he played for another season, started for another team for another year, he could have been a top ten pick. Who knows? As valuable as catchers are, so really happy with the pick. I like it a lot. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think it's a really good draft for us, and I, and I like the the approach we took too. I think again, it's unique. It's, it's a unique thing that y'all took a lot of younger guys with a little more potential, potentially potential. That that didn't sound right. A lot more potential um, and a little more higher upside. I think the Dodgers took some older guys that can play right now, um, you know, at the minor league level, double A, triple A. And it's, it's unique. Um, always baseball, always fascinating the way that organizations are built. So I think it's really, really cool. Yeah, it's nice. Always, you know, you see some teams take proven college guys, like you said, and normally it's a little bit quicker for to see their production. And I think that's what you have with the Dodgers draft hall. I think it'll be a little bit quicker, like you said, and I'm sure some of those guys will be making an impact in the next few years. But we are going to shift to the All-Star Week, as that was this past week, as we just got out of it, first few games yesterday and the day before. Uh, and obviously, had the Futures game, not going to touch too much on that, just because I'm sure most of y'all aren't probably interested in all the like prospects and stuff like that. Uh, so not going to touch too much on that. But I heard it was an exciting game, and seeing all the top prospects play together was exciting. 
But the day after that, we had the home run derby where eight contestants face off in a bracket challenge, single elimination, uh, one verse eight, two verse seven, three verse six, and four verse five. So for the home run derby, the top overall seed, Kyle Schwarber, he actually lost in the first round to the eighth seed, Albert Pujols, 20 to 19. Pujols is a career, really, really solid guy, and it's been exciting to see what he's done over the course of his career. Um, one of my favorite players, you know, back when he was on the Cardinals initially, I love watching him play and all that. I had a jersey far too small on me now, but I really love, you know, what he did. Um, and it was nice to see him win this challenge against, you know, Kyle Schwarber, who's second in the league in bombs right now. Juan Soto and Jose Ramirez faced off in the opening round as well. And Soto took that 18 to 17. You're going to see a lot of these matchups come down to one home run difference just because if the second hitter takes the lead, then it stops right there. So it's not like once they take the lead, they keep hitting. So it's a lot of close matchups here as Soto hit that 18th homer after Ramirez hit. Uh, for the third matchup in the quarterfinals, Corey Seager and the rookie Julio Rodriguez faced off, and the rookie took the matchup 32 to 24, by far the most entertaining one, um, almost double the home runs of the other matchups. And that's always good to see, especially in a home run derby. I mean, that's what you're there for. And to round out the quarterfinals, we had Polar Pete and Ronald Acuna Jr. And Mr. Strong Guy took the contest 20 to 19. Of course, he did. Uh, going down in the quarterfinals would be um, incredibly underwhelming. And I'm not sure what Pete would do with himself if that was the case, as he's been preparing for this moment for all year, really. Um, it was never a question who would be competing in the Home Run Derby contest. We knew we would have Polar Pete in it. And I'm pretty certain that every player in the home run derby did not want to see him win. And probably most of the fans and other players there as well. But nonetheless, he had to take the opening round from Ronald Acuna Jr. And he didn't, he only hit 20 homers, so maybe not too impressive. But nonetheless, he advanced to the semifinals. And in the semifinals, we had Albert Pujols versus Juan Soto. Juan Soto won the event 16-15 to 15 as Soto hit second again. Then on the other side, we had Juan Soto, or we had Julio Rodriguez versus Pete Alonso. And Juan, Julio Rodriguez won 31 to 23. Um, the rookie won the first two rounds, obviously knocking out Pete in the second round is really impressive. And didn't hear anything from the big guy after the loss. Was likely meditating, doing deadlifts, and hitting balls in the batting cage until the next morning. Um, I wonder if he missed his flight, maybe, on the way back to Queens. Uh, but I mean, I don't know what he was doing. There was some clips that went viral on Twitter of him just sitting there with his eyes closed. looks like he was about to go like run for president or play in like a world series game seven. I really don't know what the point was of the whole meditation and the hex bar deadlifts or whatever he was doing. None of the other guys were doing that. It's really weird to see him do stuff like that, but I mean, he got knocked out. So, not going to hate. I mean, this is his World Series, though. This event is his career, right? I mean, that guy made more money in his two times winning than he did on his contract, which is crazy to me, by the way. But this is this. I mean, this is like might as well just be called like the Pete Alonso. Like they made like make like the Pete Alonso home run derby. You know what I mean? So he's right. probably devastated, man. Um, I know. Like I said, no, not really sure why he's doing it, but I mean, this is a World Series, so I guess prepare like it is. But <laughs> a little, a little strange to me. 
Yeah, you have to figure if he got the three-peat, uh, he probably would have asked for the Derby to be named after him, like you said. Um, or, at least, or at least the trophy. At least right. the trophy, right? Like the Pete Alonso Home Run Derby champion. Here you go, bud. Like, yeah. like the but Bill Russell the, finals MVP. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Alonso's just as good as Bill Russell. <laughs> so it's funny. I mean, as, big and as, strong, as big and as strong as he is. I mean, come on. He, I mean, go. yeah. He would body Bill Russell in the post, no doubt. No, no question. So – That'd be fun to see, actually. I want to see Alonzo play some basketball. He doesn't seem very coordinated, but I want to see him play Bill Bill Russell right now. I want to see him and and current Bill Russell (laughs) battle it out in the paint. That'd be funny. No, I think it's just weird, man. Alonzo just does some little weird things that makes most people just wonder what his deal is. Um, But hey, he's having a pretty good year, and whatever he's doing is working. Uh, outside of the home run derby, obviously, when you get eliminated in the semifinals, that calls for some change. And I'm sure he's already prepping on it uh, for next year. I'm sure he's already got the date and time. Um, but I mean, that was fun to see Soto, you know, like I said, beat Pujols 16 to 15, and then Julio beat Pete 31 to 23. So in the final, we had Juan Soto versus Julio Rodriguez. A uh, matchup that I don't think most people saw coming. Um, obviously, Juan Soto is a guy that could have gotten there, but I didn't think he would be there, and I didn't think the rookie Julio would be there. Much like many of the other rounds, the round didn't have many homers. Soto took the derby as a whole. He actually edged out Julio 19-18 as Soto hit second again. Julio hit an 18 in the opening frame, or a round wasn't too uh, good for his chances. Um, you figure if he got to 24-25, he could have won it. But if you win, if you hit 32 and then 31, and then the final round you hit 18, kind of underwhelming. I wish there were a few more homers in the final round, but nonetheless, Juan Soto won it. Really impressive from him. And I was like watching it. A lot of home runs hit, obviously. And a lot of the times the hitters have connections to their pitchers, which is cool. And I think, you know, hopefully when we have a fully healthy league, we can see some guys come back like Bryce Harper and stuff like that. I want to see as as loaded of a field as we can get just to make it as fun as possible and, you know, as good as possible with many home runs because that's what we are there for. So be looking forward to it next year. Listen, all I want to say is Juan Soto looked real comfortable in Dodger Stadium getting those home runs. Andrew Friedman took note, I'm sure. So, you know, Juan Soto hitting homers, maybe his future home ballpark. Who knows? Um, but I think Cooley really tired himself out. I mean, you hit 32 homers and then 31 homers. You hit 63 bombs in, like, what, 20, 30 minutes? You're going to be tired. And it clearly showed that he was a rookie to the event because he came out and crushed some bombs in the first two rounds. And then, which, like, I guess you have to do when you're <clears throat> when you're hitting first and you got you got Corey Seager behind you and then you got Pete Alonso behind you. You're going to want to go hit as many homers as you can. But he really tired himself out, I think, and, and really took – all the wind out of his sails go by the final round. He was tired. Um, but I think Julio's a guy going to be a mainstay for this event. Same with Soto, um, you know, Pete Alonso, obviously. So I think a lot of these guys we're going to see for a long time this event. Um, you know, you can throw Acuna in there as well. I, I, like you said, I'd love to see Bryce Harper get back into this event. Um, monster home run derby guy. I mean, he had a, one of those crazy comebacks a few years ago. So um, definitely want to see Bryce get healthy and get back to this event. But We'll kind of move to the all-star game here where, um, you know, per usual, it feels like the all-star game, it's kind of boring a little bit. It's, it's a pitcher, almost like a pitcher's duel. Um, that's exactly what it was this year. 
Um, only five runs were scored in a combined two innings. And uh, for the ninth straight year, the AL won the game, and they won narrowly three to two. Um, although it opened the game at the bottom of the first, uh, <clears throat> National League, Mookie bets on an RBI single, and Goldschmidt hit a 430-foot solo bomb. Um, I believe <clears> – <throat> I can't remember how – oh, it was, our, it was uh, Acuna had a leadoff single, and then Mookie had a – or a leadoff double for Acuna. And then Mookie had a single that drove him in. Then uh, they grounded into a double play with the third hitter. So Goldschmidt came up with nobody on, two outs, and hit a solo bomb. Uh, 430 feet was a monster homer. Uh, so they took a quick 2-0 lead. Um, <clears throat> for the AL on the top of the fourth inning, uh, John Carlos Stanton hit a 457-foot bomb, a uh, two-run shot, which is an absolute moonshot from Stanton. And then Buxton, the immediate batter after, uh, went for 425 down the line into the home bullpen, or I guess the what was the National League bullpen, um, just went yard. So just a tank. Um, you know, both of my Cy Young picks didn't have their best stuff in their All-Star game debuts. When I made my Cy Young picks, it was McClanahan and Gonsolin. Both guys gave up the two the only runs given up on for their respective teams. McClanahan obviously given up the two runs in the first inning, and then uh, Gonsolin giving up the three runs on back-to-back homers. Granted, I think I, well, looking back when I watched the, the clip again, the pitch he threw to Buxton was a look at pitch. Buxton just is one of the best players in baseball and took it for a ride. Um, it's going to happen. I think I think guys who make their first all there's a lot of nerves, especially for Gonsolin in his home ballpark. I think there's a lot of nerves. So um, kind of want to show out for the fans and didn't quite get it done, which is, you know, it's, a, it's an exhibition game for a reason. doesn't really matter. doesn't really matter for your stats. So it uh, doesn't affect either of those guys' uh, top five ERAs. But, um, you know, I, w- I wish the All-Star game was a little more, you know, hitter-friendly. I, I I feel like they they juiced the balls a little bit for it. Even uh, they had Trey Turner mic'd up in the kind of pregame, pre, pre-game workouts, and uh, he was talking to Carlos Rodon about how he thought that the balls were juiced because they were just flying. Uh, he was talking to him, and then Corbin Burns and Tony Gonson were talking, and they were like, man, these balls are flying right now. Like, there's going to be some head out of the park. And so um, – but I wish, I wish there was a little more hitting, a little more action, I think. For the sport, it'd be good because not everyone loves baseball. But like, if you're watching the All Star game, you want to see some some hitting. So, um, nonetheless, it's cool. I have the All Star game going at Dodger Stadium. Great venue. Uh, I've been there. It's it's awesome. Um, really not a bad seat there for for fans. And then just a good atmosphere uh, in the evening. It's really nice weather. So, um, it's cool to see and uh, really good All Star game just in general. I mean, for me, I liked it because it's good pitching. But um, I wish there was a little bit maybe a little more action. Yeah, I mean, it seems like every year. It's like you said, low scoring, and the AL has won. Uh, I mean, exciting game, three to two. So, I think what we saw was about what we've had over the past few years, and I thought it was definitely exciting to follow along. Uh, obviously, with a few home runs, three home runs over four twenty-five was fun to see. As really the only source of runs from the game. Um, but yeah, I mean, pitching was up and down. Obviously, when you have two in the bottom of the first, and then three in the top of the fifth. It's maybe not as, you know, obviously a couple of pitchers aren't pitching well and the rest are pitching pretty solid. But that's kind of what you get when you put all the best guys together is dudes are either going to be on or off when you're facing the best of the best. And that's kind of how it went. But we're going to round out the episode here. We got some NBA, NFL, and then the ice bath. So I'm going to kick NBA here. Early in the morning Thursday, the Philadelphia 76ers announced plans to build a new $1.3 billion privately funded arena in center city it's going to be called 76 place and it is set to open by 2031 so obviously not going to open for a while 
Uh, the renderings look incredible. It looks sweet, like super futuristic looking right in downtown Philly. And I think it's obviously going to, you know, hopefully the, maybe Philly will be pretty good by then. It might still have Embiid. I don't know. Um, I mean, they're one of the teams that are always, you know, top four or five seed in the East. So definitely when you get $1.3 billion arena, it's going to be pretty sweet. Definitely want to visit it someday. And hope maybe they put in some good basketball in that arena. But also Thursday, the 76ers re-signed James Harden on a two-year $68.6 million deal that will pay him $33 million even next season and a $35.6 million player option for the 2023-24 season that he can choose to opt out of, and he can become a free agent in a year after next season. So by Harden declining the $47.4 million player option that he was initially owed and taking a $14.4 million pay cut for the 2022-23 season, it allowed the 76ers to use the mid-level exception on P.J. Tucker and the biannual exception to sign Daniel House. So kind of what Harden was envisioning when he took that pay cut, and it's definitely beneficial to that team and that roster. And I think the whole organization, uh, when you have – better talent around your stars like Harden and Embiid. It causes for more ticket sales, and it's a lot more exciting to watch teams when they have a well-rounded cast and not maybe just a couple stars and nobody else. Uh, but P.J. Tucker is a really, really solid player, always up there in three-point percentage. So that'll be fun to see kind of how they play and how they form that roster, uh, continue to building it leading up to the opening day. Yeah, $1.3 billion for a uh... – Basketball arena is something. I'll tell you that. It's going to be sweet. I mean, Chase Center was pushing a bill, so it should be pretty cool. Um, they should be state-of-the-art. I mean, it should be great. Uh, 2031 feels like a long time, though. Um, you know, it gets privately funded. Probably means it's going to take a little longer to raise those funds, which makes a little sense to me, so it makes some sense. Um, but, yeah, just in general, um, cool for the 76ers, cool for their fans. I'm not a Sixers fan. I just don't really – care about them but i mean it's cool for basketball um so it's good for the league to get more you know new arenas that kind of thing just makes the league better overall um interested to see when they break ground so see how long it takes i know it took the chase center quite a few years obviously had a little covid delay um but cool nonetheless uh and then 76ers is getting hardened shocked that he took the the vet discount if you will gonna only make 33 million if i could only make 33 million I'd be I'd be loving I'd be loving it I'd be living large, but nonetheless, um, definitely not a guy I would have picked to do that. But I'm good to see him, you know, maybe going against what going against the grain against what people thought he would do. So, um, you know, clearly want want wants the team to be successful, and, and that's kind of the path to do it. So, kind of some other NBA news though. Miles Bridges pleaded not guilty to his domestic violence charges yesterday, and his next court date is set for August or the 19th of August. Yeah, just want to make sure I have that right. Um. I have no idea what's going to happen here. Miles Bridges is a guy who's living his life like he wants to get out of the league. Just the things that he's been doing, putting on his Instagram. It's like, bro, why? You're in the league. Like, guys guys want to get out of that and get to the league. But you're trying to, like, get out of the league and get back into that. Just – it's really confusing. Um, you know, they didn't shock me. There's really no veteran presence in that Charlotte locker room. So, you know, if they get a vet in there, they can maybe try to steer them away from that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, nonetheless, he's got to – I'm going to go face the court and see what's going to happen there. And then after 14 seasons, Russell Westbrook and his agent, Thad Foucher, 
of Wasserman powered ways last Friday. Um, not really sure why there was really no reason given. It just sounded like they'd worked together a long time and Russ wanted to go have a new representation. I'm not really sure. Um, you know, still super unclear what the situation there is. I know that a late last night news broke that um, I think the athletic reported that there was a trade being worked on with the Pacers to get Buddy Heald and Miles Turner in exchange for Russ and two first round picks. And it fell apart because the Lakers did not want to give up another first and Indiana basically was requiring to get two firsts out of it. So a little disappointed. Uh, they didn't do that. I, I would have gladly given up two first round picks for Heald and Miles Turner uh, to get, you know, in exchange for Russ and two picks, but um you know, clearly the Lakers feel differently, so uh, they didn't do it. But, uh, you know, it's super, still super unclear what the, what the future holds for Westbrook and the Lakers. Yeah, kind of a weird situation there for him. Owed a lot of money and obviously looking to get moved. Um, it's pretty funny to see the Spurs rookies. There was a like kind of a charades deal that they had between the three of them, and one of them was – talking about Russ, I think, and one of them said brick, like bricks to describe him. Um, That's so fair. Pretty funny, obviously, just messing around. But, um, yeah, I mean, Russ is kind of a weird situation on the – reaching the, you know, final few years of his career most likely, unless he turns it around. Kind of really weird to see a downfall like this where he's still taking the same number of shots so the volume isn't dipping, but the reduction is. And so I think it's important to see – him go to a spot that maybe he can take I mean it's tough because you say take a lesser role but that's what he's doing on the Lakers and he still finds ways to try to take a bigger role so maybe with a new agent and stuff like that it'll help and it'll help his kind of revitalization of his career and I think it ultimately just comes down to finding the right spot to play um, with the right guys around him and the right agent so I think if we see all that, I think it'll be really beneficial to him and for the league, obviously, when he's playing well, the league's better. I mean, when you have better competition, more fun to watch, more entertaining. So I think that's probably what will happen, uh, but no telling. So I guess we'll see what happens here in the coming weeks. But to round out the NBA news, the Phoenix Suns matched the four-year $133 million offer sheet that the Pacers signed for restricted free agent DeAndre Ayton meaning he'll be in Phoenix for the 2023-2024 season, and he cannot be traded without his consent for a full season. So if the Suns want to move Aiden, but he wants to stay, he's staying. Um, if Aiden wants to leave, then he can. If he wants to be there for the whole season, he can. So it's up to him. Pretty much a player-driven one-year contract and or a four-year contract, but at least for this first year, it's his say. Uh, so I guess – him being in Phoenix, I didn't think that would be the case of him staying initially. Uh, there were some rumblings about him staying after the initial wave of free agency and things, you know, multiple sources saying that he can move to a number of different places. But I guess him staying there is what he wanted, um, and he's making a good bit of money doing it. So not shocked yeah. to see him remain in Phoenix, and hopefully he can develop with that roster in the coming years. Yeah, I mean, I think if uh, unless Phoenix is, you know, top two seed in the West, he's getting moved. He's getting moved at the deadline because they can't trade him until like, it's like January 20 something or January 15. To, yeah. You know, some, sometime mid mid to late January, they can't trade him until then. Um, yeah, maybe he's got this like this whole no trade. You can't trade a guy you just signed type of deal. It's kind of weird. Um, so, again, he won't get traded until then. But I, but I think if they 
are not in a place of that they were last year being a top seed at the deadline, they're going to move him um, for another star. I'm not really sure what it's going to be, but it'll happen at some point for him. I do feel bad he didn't get to go where he wanted to go, but I guess, you know, he's only going to get a few months of basketball before he gets traded. So, you know what? He's making a lot of money doing it. So, I'm, you know, if I'm him, I don't feel that bad for him because, you know, he's making like millions. So he's making like eight figures next year. So I don't really care. As sad as, sad as it might be, he's making a lot of money. So I don't feel too bad for the guy. But um, I guess it kind of wraps up NBA news for the week. Um, just kind of some, you know, just it's a lot of league announcements at this point. Um, you know, the occasional contract. But uh, it's kind of going to wrap up most of the exciting part of the NBA offseason for the most part. We'll kind of get into the football here. Um, bunch of news this week, though, football, a lot of news. College football, pro football, a lot of news. Yeah, I kind of just alternate through what's a loaded uh, football segment as a whole. Uh, but before we get into some contract news, a few contracts this week, there are a couple minor announcements in the football world and a few announcements in the college level as well. Uh, first of all, Texas Tech released its renderings that are for a $200 million investment the program received this past season. The construction will take place after their season and will be complete by the 2023 season. So following their 2022 season, they're going to break ground on a kind of revamping of the south end zone of the football stadium and the training facility. So really exciting things to see. The renderings look incredible, and it's going to be really fun to see you know, go to games there and kind of tour and check it out, all the new things that are going in place. Uh, obviously, when something new comes in, you're eager to find out what it is, what it looks like, and how it affects, you know, who's using it. So I'd like to maybe one day see and tour the new facility in the south end zone and maybe that whole – all those suites that are going to be on that side. So really exciting things for Texas Tech as they're getting some really generous uh, investments and donations to the – um organization and also each player on texas tech roster along with 15 walk-ons will sign a one-year twenty-five thousand dollar contract which is really exciting for those guys um i know for the walk-ons that pays for their tuition pretty much so technically under scholarship with that deal and then for the guys that are already under scholarship it's just a nice you know good bit of money to help them get through um, whatever their plans are after college and stuff like that. So exciting to see investments go to Texas Tech. I know the reputation, maybe they don't have the funds or whatever, um, can't get, you know, recruit big names out here. So it's nice to see kind of break the mold and have these guys bringing in money and landing some big recruits. Listen, $200 million, they better, they better step it up. $200 million is going to go to waste. And obviously the facility is going to be great. Um, it's really going to help the recruiting side, but uh, they got to start putting the products on the field, right? I mean, it, looking at $200 million this offseason, getting put into the program just because of Joey McGuire, basically. So um, guys and coach football game yet, and I'm a big believer, but it's going to have to, their products going to have to be there um, by the end of the season, to be honest with you. Yeah. And next year, end of the 2023 season, they better be rolling in a, in a better direction because, like I said, $200 million is a lot of money. Um, for, for these owners to put in. So, uh, you know, we'll see how that affects the program. I think it'll be positive, and hopefully it's sooner rather than later, of course. Um, we'll kind of move last note in college football this week before we get into NFL news, a program that has had plenty of success recently, uh, the reigning national champs, uh, Georgia Bulldogs, and their head coach, Kirby Smart, agreed to a new 10-year, $112.5 million contract extension or a restructure and, and extension. Um, give us a contract for the next 10 years and ups his pay. 
to, you know, around what, 11, 11, two a year, roughly um, 11, two, five a year, basically, which is a lot of money to coach college football. Um, not shocking though, guys on, you know, he's really the only Nick Saban, uh, you know, disciple to succeed at the college level. So, um, you know, at the level that Kirby smart has. So, um, you know, he's one of the highest paid coaches in college football. Um, expect that to get surpassed in a few years by another young coach. It's just how it's always going to be kind of like for agency, but, um, you know, good to see, you know, it's good for Georgia to get their head coach locked up for the next 10 years. He's not going anywhere for sure. Um, there's really no program that's going to take him anymore. So, um, good for Kirby getting paid a lot of money. So good for him. And then, um, kind of the last, uh, you know, last college news, and we'll get into the NFL news here before we get into some contracts. Uh, uh, in addition, the Super Bowl 50, 56 champs, Los Angeles Rams, got their Super Bowl rings yesterday, and they're so cool. Uh, they have, like, a removable top that shows the SoFi Stadium, like the field, um, with, like, the Rams and the Bengals painted field and everything for the Super Bowl. Um, it's really cool. The ring is massive. Like, it's huge. Um, but it's super cool. Obviously, it's beautiful looking. Uh, the color scheme is great that the Rams have. Um, it just looks really nice, though. Um, you know, hopefully the Chargers will get one one day and I'll get to see what that looks like. Um, but they, they just look great. I, I mean, if I was a fan, I think it'd be really cool to see what the rings look like. I'd want to try and get, like, one of the, the replica ones that they sell for super cheap. It's a cool thing to have. Um, but, yeah, I know. Super rings are always cool, but the Rams, it seems like every year they just get better, which is, you know, makes sense. But um, they're awesome. They look great. Yeah, I think the removal top was really sweet. And, you know, the side uh, within the ring, the front back, it's all really unique. And I really like that part of the ring is they kind of personalize it to the player while also recognizing, you know, the overall th- achievements and stuff like that, um, you know, maybe with stats and stuff. But, no, the removable top with the bowl of the SoFi was pretty sweet when I saw that. But, I mean, that's pretty much the thing every year is they're kind of a new added twist to it. So we see what added twist comes to the one next year uh, for whoever wins the Super Bowl. But as the season, teams are allowed to wear alternate helmets and not just put some different stickers on the same colored helmet. We had some more alternate helmet announcements. Uh, Yesterday, the Philadelphia Eagles announced their all-black helmet for the upcoming season. Same exact helmet with the white um, wing on the side. It's just black instead of green. So I thought that was pretty cool. Also yesterday, New York Jets released an all-black version of their helmets with green lettering that reads Jets, J-E-T-S, on the side. And then Thursday, the Dallas Cowboys announced their alternates, which will be white with a navy star on each side, much like their throwback ones. They'll be wearing those on Thanksgiving. So those three helmets, looking forward to seeing, obviously, when uniforms get mixed up and stuff like that. And then Wednesday morning, the Giants announced that they're going to bring back the Navy helmets that read Giants on the side, much like the Color Rush ones. And they're going to have those Color Rush unis as well, which are basically just the Bills jerseys with thicker numbers. Um, And on Tuesday, the Carolina Panthers announced a black version of their helmet, which is one of the better ones so far. I'd say if I, so to this point, alternate helmet power rankings, probably Bengals, Panthers, and then... I don't know. Got, be gotta third. go Jets. The Jets yeah. one is it's got the green face mask. It's, I think that's the second best. Probably Jets. the Bengals yeah. is the best. The Jets is so sick though. Yeah. It's just I like the face it. mask looks good. I I hope you all do like a chrome purple face mask for those. Probably. I know. Be, I, be I so want. Sick. I want either a chrome helmet or um like a like a purplish chrome helmet. So either like a true chrome like silver helmet or purple. But I don't or know. 
y'all could do something with like a purple face mask, like a like a like a chrome gold face mask with like a matte purple helmet or something like that would be yeah. peak, be incredible. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the Ravens are gonna do if they're even gonna drop one. I don't know if I don't know what teams aren't gonna drop one, but I don't know if every team is. Uh, but yeah, the helmets that have been dropped so far, some of them are black. Obviously, the teams that don't wear black and have black as a color likely want a black helmet. So that's what a lot of the drops have been, you know, with the Panthers, the Jets. Heaters, um, though. They're all so yeah, sick. I mean, they're pretty sick. Except sweet. for the it's Commanders. Awesome. Commanders is kind of lame. But, you know, that, yeah. that, the Commanders, the whole the whole vibe is kind of lame. So let's be honest. Yeah, they're still kind of rebranding, getting their stuff worked out. So maybe there'll be some improvement next season. For them on the helmet aspect, but yeah, my my favorite's obviously the Bengals, and then those Panthers ones are pretty sweet. The Black Panther yeah. um, unis are going to be pretty awesome oh, to see, so and it's, it's going to make me watch a Panthers game. So they, they're required to, to wear that. those. In a, they're required to wear those at night game. By the way, they have to. They, oh, the yeah. Jets and the Panthers have to wear the all black with the black helmet at a night game, and and uh, I don't make I saw I don't make the rules. Sorry, but that's just how it is. Got to be that way. Has to be. You know? Oh yeah, no, but, I, I'm. I, I'm looking forward to it, see what other teams yeah. come out with. I can't wait for ours because our dude, our 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 just design team is they're always on the money, and I just cannot wait to see what we do. Um, but it should it should be fire. They've all been really good so far. I don't think there's been any bad helmets to be honest. But we'll kind of get into some things that are bad in the NFL. Uh, a couple more additions to the Madden 99 Club this week, and now the entire ratings are out. Uh, but the 99 Club consists of Aaron Donald, no shock, Miles Garrett. Bit of a hot take, but it's Madden, so whatever. Devonta Adams, okay. And Trent Williams, deserved. Um, four guys seems like not enough, to be honest. There should be a couple more guys. I think there should be, um, you know, one from every, every position probably, except for maybe, like, kicker and partners because, right. like, you've got to be an all-time great. And I think Justin Tucker is deserving of a 99, to be honest. You know, guy's the GOAT. But nonetheless, um, you know, not shocking. Um, you know, ratings came out. The entire ones came out this week. They come in. They all came out yesterday. Finally, uh, they're awful as usual. It feels like a religious tradition now, almost that EA puts out terrible ratings. They're always bad. So, um, you know, EA is like one of the worst view- video game companies ever. They continually put out a garbage product for Madden, and people keep buying. I didn't. I haven't bought Madden in like two years. But it's garbage. I, it's literally just a copy paste with like some different font. I'm not. Not worth it. Um, yeah, EA is garbage. They're terrible. Um, again, ratings are terrible. They're always bad, but they were really bad this year. It seems like every year they just get worse and worse. Um, I think Josh Allen was like a 92 overall quarterback. Why? How? Why? Don't get it. So um, it seems like they've taken career achievements more seriously than like past, like this past season's performance. So um, kind of lame in my opinion, but whatever. Um and then Josh Rosen signed with the Cleveland Browns and kind of our first contract news on the pod today, um, officially on a one-year deal as a ruling slowest on Sean Watson's suspension. Who knows when that's going to come. It's supposed to come already, but it hasn't, so whatever. Uh, we'll kind of get that when we get it at this point. And then Kyle Rudolph signed a one-year deal with Tampa, Tampa Bay Buccaneers Wednesday night as well. Um, just some tight end depth there. Get a veteran guy in the room for some of the young guys they've got. Um, really good signing, I thought. I definitely got going to get some red zone targets and just – it was like older tight ends just have a really good feel for getting open in the end zone and they kind of just in the red zone. And um, I think him and Tom Brady will have a great connection. Just two vets that have been been at the top of their craft for a long time. So um, should be a good signing for them. Yeah, it's pretty convenient there. Picking up a Rudolph once you know Gronk's gone. Um, I think Rudolph's going to be have an impact on that team. Whether the size of the impact, I don't know. But I definitely think he'll have an impact on their roster. Definitely 
be productive in the red zone. And then the Browns signing Josh Rosen wasn't too much of a shock. I still think Brissett's the guy until Deshaun comes back. Uh, but Rosen, I guess, is depth. Um, I mean, they have four quarterbacks right now, so kind of be interesting to see how the training camp battle plays out, if you call, want to call it that. Um, but I don't know what the Browns are thinking right now. Be curious to see what they're thinking. Um, but, yeah, if I'm them, I'm starting Brissett until Watson's back, whenever that is. It uh, seems like it could only be half a season, but it could also be a whole season. So be wondering to see how they go about the quarterback situation. But the biggest news of the week, really, across all sports, was the Arizona Cardinals quarterback, Kyler Murray. He signed a five-year, $230.5 million deal. It has $160 million guaranteed. He's now tied to Arizona for the next six seasons, and the deal will average out to $46.1 million annually. It's just 100000 higher than Deshaun Watson as the second-highest-paid quarterback, as Aaron Rodgers is still making the most annually at $50.3 million. Um, Lamar's probably going to get probably 47 to 50 range. If I had to guess, I don't think they're going to give more than 50.3, but I think 47 to 50 will kind of be his landing spot past Kyler. He won't pass Aaron Rodgers though. Um, 50.3 is kind of crazy. I don't know if you can really count that as terms of like the market per se, probably um, not. but Deshaun making 46, Kyler 46.1. That's probably where you're thinking, you know, Josh Allen at 43, Mahomes at 45. That's kind of the range that you want to be 43 to 48 per se. If, you know, Lamar signs his deal, it's going to be most likely after the season. Um, he keeps wanting to bet on himself. The Ravens are ready to sign a contract. They have been for a while. And Lamar keeps saying, I want to earn it. And so he's wanting to go out and win the Super Bowl ultimately. Um, what he keeps saying but we'll see how that plays out. I don't know. They're, they aren't really in negotiations right now, but I know Lamar is at training camp. Whether he is holding in or not, I don't know. I don't know if he's actually going to participate or just be there um, and kind of get the mental reps. But knowing what his stance is on the contract and that he would want to sign it after the season, I'd assume he is playing and being a full participant as much as he can in training camp, preseason, the time that he plays, and then obviously – hopefully staying healthy in the regular season and earning that contract as he is his own agent. Um, pretty unique. In that case, someone at the top, um, top caliber player is their own agent. You don't see that very often, let alone at all. I mean, all these guys have agents and agents are a big deal for negotiating contracts and Lamar. I mean, I guess his mom is kind of his negotiator, but she's not his like agent. Um, so yeah, the Kyler deal is massive. Don't really understand it too much. Obviously, you have to keep your franchise guy around, especially with how rare it is to find a really quality quarterback. And, you know, the NFC isn't too competitive probably this upcoming season just in comparison to the AFC. So getting Kyler, I guess you kind of have to do as he's now there for six seasons. He'll play his final year of his rookie deal this upcoming season, and then his deal will kick in for the 2023-24 season. Um, but, yeah, I mean – I get it because it's the market, but paying a guy like that 46 mil who hasn't, I mean, his one playoff game was horrendous, like one of the worst playoff performances by a quarterback in some time. Um, I mean, that's with having a top three receiving group too. So I wasn't too sure. I mean, obviously I get the reason for the deal and the market and all of that, but it's just him being the guy. He hasn't proven enough, I think, to earn that contract. So 
it is what it is. Pretty funny. Um, I guess p- picking football over baseball turned out well for him uh, as the Oakland Athletics who drafted him in the first round. In baseball, their entire payroll is only two more mil than Kyler will be making per year. So that's pretty funny there. Obviously, he would not be making that money if he chose baseball. Yeah, it's um, definitely good he chose football over baseball. Um, definitely make more money that way. I just think, like you said, they don't really have a choice, right? I mean, like I think we talked about this when the deal came out. They just they don't they don't have a choice but to pay him. Um, you know, until until a team successfully says I'm not paying a quarterback, I'm going to go find a new one. Until someone successfully does that, which no one has, um, you know, I'm not going to count like the Patriots letting Tom Brady walk or the Chargers letting Philip Rivers walk. Like that, those guys, those guys were old and they just couldn't afford to pay those guys while getting the roster younger. That's different. I'm talking like the Cardinals say, Kyler Murray, you're done. We're not going to re-sign you. Say the Cowboys didn't, didn't, didn't want to sign Dak. They wouldn't try to replace him unless until a team successfully replaces a young quarterback with another young quarterback, it's never going to happen. Quarterbacks really going to command what they want within some reason of the market. Um, you know, again, I don't think Kyler's worth this money uh, in comparison right. to his peers, but at the same time, that's just kind of how it is. Like, I don't think there's a, there's a lot of guys who aren't worth the money they get compared to their peers, but they're going to because of the fact that it's how the market is. That's just how it works. Um, Every year, a guy, you know, the, the number, the bar always gets raised every offseason, right? And it's usually, it's going to keep going. It's going to keep going, um, you know, until, I don't know if it's ever going to stop. I don't know. Until the NFL implements some sort of salary cap, like a cap on a salary, similar to what the NBA does, it's just, it's never going to change. So, um, you know, they have choice. So, like I said, um, Cardinals signed that deal while it's not necessarily, one that I would have signed Kyler to. I mean, I guess you have to. Like I said, you, you don't have a choice to, but certainly not one that he maybe earned all that money for. But, again, no choice, so they kind of have to do it. The alternative is much worse. So, um, like, he's trying to capture that lightning in a bottle for a full season. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's what they're trying to do. So, I guess we're kind of getting to the ice bath. That kind of wraps up the episode. Moving to the ice bath, kind of wrap it up today. Um, you want to go first or want me to go first today? You can start if you want. Okay. Cool with me. Um so my ice bath comes from the All-Star break. Um, so Clayton Kershaw obviously started the game, All-Star at the All-Star or started the All-Star game. Um, with shout out to the the Braves staff for letting him do that, uh, letting him have that in Dodger Stadium. Sandy Alcantara was certainly the more deserving pitcher to start the game in terms of stats, but uh, you know Kershaw's first ballot Hall of Famer, one of the best pitchers of all time. Um, top, you know maybe one of the maybe the best pitcher of the last you know decade, this past generation of baseball players. So. Really cool for them to let him have that at Dodger Stadium in his home ballpark. First All-Star game start ever. Um, you know, he'd been passed over a couple of times with better numbers for guys that are, you know, have the home, have the game at their home ballpark, which I'm fine with. So uh shout out to the Braves staff letting him do that. But this is not what my ice bath is. It's um during his press conference, he seemed like he was done and he kind of got up and was walking out and someone kind of pointed. He's like, hey, Kershaw, there's a there's a kid in the back. And he goes, he immediately said, he's like, oh, man, like, what you got for me? Like, he's more than happy to sit down and talk to him, listen to his question, talk to him, no worries. Um, something he likes to do is, you know, it's all about the fans for him. So he sits back down. He's like, what you got, bud? And um, instead of having a question, a 10-year-old Blake, Blake Grice walked up kind of towards the front of the – towards like where he was sitting at the podium, I guess, um, or at the table, and basically told him what he said. He wanted to tell you a short story. And um, the story kind of went that his grandfather, um, you know, he loved the Dodgers. He watched the 1988 World Series, and on his bucket list was to meet Vin Scully and Clayton Kershaw. Um, obviously, Vin Scully, um, you know, not necessarily around. 
uh, anymore. But Clayton Kirsch is obviously still around. Um, but uh, his grandfather never got the chance to after he passed away in 2014 due to brain cancer. And so Blake came to the All-Star game to carry out his father's worship meeting Clayton Kershaw. Um, you know, he's kind of getting a little bit choked up, kind of telling him about this. Um, and Kershaw immediately got up, gave Blake a hug, and told him how brave he was for standing up and sharing that story. Uh, I got to take a photo, shared a really cool moment. Um, I just thought it was really cool that Kershaw took the time to make that kid's day and, and allow him to have that moment. Um, you know, for people like me who followed Kershaw's whole career, kind of off the field, it's no shock. I mean, this guy's one of the biggest philanthropists in baseball, if not in sports. Um, you know, he takes a trip every year. I forget which country, but he goes there and the, the Kershaw Foundation, they build homes, they build wells. Um, you know, they do a lot of really good work, really good charitable work. Um, I think it's Nicaragua and there's another country that they go to. Um, I think Guatemala, it, they do a lot of really good work. And he's just, he's always been about uh, the fans and the community and giving back to the LA community as well. He always has, um, you know, Kershaw's challenge was they had the big ping pong tournament, um, you know, at Dodger Stadium. They have a bunch of people come, celebrities, friends, family, uh, other baseball players. So, uh, but I thought it was really cool that, that Kirsch got to, um, you know, give that kid uh, kind of his chance to, to tell that story. And I think it was really cool that kid, um, you know, he's 10 years old to get up and do that and um, kind of wanted to fulfill his grandpa's dream of meeting Clayton Kershaw, clearly a lifelong Dodger fan and, you know, went out, probably watched him rooting for him, which is really cool. So, um, you know, like I said, it's cool for him that on the last, you know, kind of achieving the last thing to ever really achieve as, as a starter. He won a World Series. He won a Cy Young. He's thrown a no-hitter. Um, he's done all the things you want to do as, as, a, as a starting pitcher, but start the All-Star game. And, he, and on the day he got to do that, um, he took the time to make this kid's day and, and leave him with such a positive core memory. So um, it's really cool, like I said. So uh, shout out to Blake Grice, first of all, for getting up and telling that story. It's super brave. Um, you know, not every 10-year-old can sit there and talk to Clayton Kershaw face-to-face and tell him that story. And shout out to Kirsch for giving that kid the time of day and, um, you know, making a, 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 lo- a life-lasting memory for that kid. Super cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, there's some guys in the league that would do things like that, and it really makes – you know, everything in the league worthwhile. And, you know, when you reach that level of fame, regardless of what sport you're in, I think it's important to, you know, give your time back to whether it be fans or a community or like you said, with the foundation, it's really impressive to see some guys who make it to the top of their game uh, still giving back. And it's always nice for, you know, those guys to do that. And they don't have to, obviously. And they have such a big platform that, you know, everyone looks up to them. Um, whether you're a fan or you're just watching the game. Um, you look up to the good players normally, and he's definitely one of those. So it's really impressive to see a guy like him do so much for the community and fans as a whole. Um, I wish there were more players like that. And there are obviously more than just him, but I wish there were even more. I know the NFL normally pushes the initiative of helping the community more so than other sports. So I think MLB with a lot of guys coming into the league that are not from America, um, it really helps when these guys that are in MLB going to other countries, letting those guys that could be in the big leagues someday, seeing those guys in person in their home country, I think it really helps motivate them to you know take that me- next step and to hopefully get to the league one day. Um, so good to see from them there. My ice bath is kind of just a funny thing that happened. I saw it on Twitter the other day. So Los Angeles Rams social media crew, uh, they're pretty solid. I've seen a couple solid posts from them, maybe not at the top, but uh, definitely have some heat coming out of their content team. Um, They released a video on Wednesday of them announcing a new hire to their content team, and her name is Erica Tamposi. 
And with the announcement, they posted a 52-second video. It consisted of a compilation of Rams head coach, quarterback, and owner talking about how monumental of a move it was. Um, but they made it seem like they were talking about hiring the content coordinator, Erica. Obviously not talking about her. Uh, they were talking about re-signings, uh, signings or re-signings of big-name players like Matthew Stafford, Aaron Donald, or Cooper Cup. And they kind of put in the video to make it seem like it was for her. Uh, I just thought it was really, really funny how dramatic they made it all seem. Just for a new content creator, you know, obviously content creators don't get recognition that players do. I mean, that's a given, but it's just had to be said for the sake of this. I mean, content creators, you normally just see behind the Instagram account or Twitter account doing some edits and stuff like that. So it's funny to see they kind of put together this video of, um, you know, Sean McVay said, this is going to be a monumental move that is going to be huge for the future of this organization. And then it like pants to her, like walking out of a car in slow-mo. And they did like the, the, the camera angles good. were perfect. Like it was super like dramatic. That's the videos, funny. if you want to check out the video, it's on the Rams Twitter, Instagram account posted on Wednesday, like I said. But I just thought it was really funny. I think it's something I haven't really seen before a content yeah. team do. But it's ironic because she's getting hired for a content team. So the content had to be heat or else it would have been underwhelming. So That's right. Yeah, I mean, gotta have it. that was cool to see. I hope some other teams will do something like that. But that pretty much wraps up episode 21 here for y'all. Um, well, if we're not busy, uh, which we should be good, next Thursday we'll release episode 22. Um, 22 is crazy. Being, you know, four months in or whatever, five months in um, the podcast, we love doing it. Um, ideally, I mean, this week is both really busy for both of us. I'm out of town and you're shifting apartments. So we came at you with an episode a little bit late, um, but nonetheless, enjoy getting the content out to y'all. We're going to have a little bit of a revised schedule they're gonna, that we're going to talk about here in the next couple of weeks for the fall semester, as we're both students, obviously, at Tech. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Follow us on the socials at Cold Seat Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, do you have anything? No, I think that pretty much wraps it up. But we, will switch. we will see you guys next Thursday uh, for another episode. So see you guys then. Yeah, see you